Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you could join us today. We pray that you're blessed by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, let me talk to you about faith. This is the great chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I love this chapter of Scripture. Today we're going to take a journey through that realm of faith, and at times faith is this amazing, powerful thing that we connect to, that we just are seeing God answer our prayers and amazing us with the things that He can achieve. And at times faith can be this confounding mystery. You know, sometimes we pray prayers and they don't seem to be answered, and the ceiling seems to be this glass wall that we can't get through, and we feel, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering this prayer? And what we're going to find out today is that every one of those moments of our life really is what true faith is. You'll see believers who receive everything they pray for, and that others who say, man, God, why did you not show up in this desperate moment of my life? But let's pray and take a journey through faith. We're going to go through chapter 11. We're going to try to get through a lot of it today and really hit the front end, which is kind of why faith is reasonable. And then the back end is what does it mean to have the types of faith that the ancients were commended for? But let's pray together today and ask for God's help. Father, so exciting today to honor one of your great servants whom I know you love. But God, today we want to hear your heart and your word. And so, Spirit of God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you as we look into Hebrews chapter 11. Amen. Well, having true faith, number one, is, is really built on a new foundation. And here's the first part of the foundation. It's anchored to the reality that there is a God. I love this first three verses of Hebrews 11 has a lot packed into it. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. The reality of God is necessary for true faith. If you're going to have true faith, that's God has to exist. The word assurance means to validate through evidence. The word understand means to think or to, a re, to a reason. The assurance of what we cannot see is God. And so faith requires that we live with this understanding that there is a God that we cannot see and we respond to that reality in our lives. And this will make sense as we move forward. You see, faith is rational, church, and faith is reasonable. Hallelujah. And these arguments in the first three verses are incredible. There's actually three arguments that people who are studying theology or people that are studying the different things in, in the existence of the universe, these are three actual arguments stated in these things. The first is the ontological argument, and, and by, what that is about is by simple reasoning, the nature of being and existence. 
When you look at this world, you say, well, there's got to be something, a higher power, a supernatural power outside of this world for this world to make sense. There's a cosmological argument, which is the first cause. There has to be something that started all this. The world does not make sense unless it is there was a first cause. There's something that spun this all into existence. And so this argument is in our first three verses. There's a teleological argument, which talks about the order of creation. It shows order. It shows design. It it shows purpose. The fact that all these things exist is proof that there is a God. This is what he's trying to say in the opening verses of chapter 11. We don't know who the author is, but this is the arguments he is making in the moments. And so we see that faith is rational and faith is reasonable. The world only makes sense if there's an unseen supernatural reality that has brought it to to reason and to be there. Amen? So in other words, all this stuff you were living in and doing makes sense because there has to be a God. Things like life and death, good and evil, beauty and love. You know, church often at funerals, I will talk about the fact that the world has to be shaped by the unseen reality that there is a God. And only at funerals do we really see that logic becoming made known. I talk often, if I, you know, I feel the Lord telling me to talk this way, but I often will talk about these three things as one of the sections of the funeral. The first is permanence. How many know that in this world, nothing is permanent? Nothing. Have you ever bought a new car? How many love new car smell? I love new car smell. And you know, the thing is, that little, I buy the little smelly things that are supposed to smell like new car. They don't smell like new car because nothing's permanent. You know, they ding your door. They do, something happens in that car that you love will one day you'll be hauling it away to the trash, to the dump. And that's the truth. Something in us, though, longs for permanence. That's why we hate funerals. Because something in us is telling us this is not the way it should be. And so we understand that intrinsically something is speaking to us in that moment. We long for perfection. Amen? Nothing's perfect in this world. But here's my question at a funeral. Where does the concept of perfection come from if there's nothing perfect in this world? Right? That has to be telling us that there's a supernatural reality. There's something unseen that is shaping what is seen. Because in me, there's this longing, this cry for perfection, for permanence in our life. Amen? Even peace. We long for this thing called peace, and yet our world is worn torn. Our own lives are deeply fractured, yet something in us is saying, I'm designed to experience peace. Again, it's eternity calling out to the hearts and minds of men and women and saying, wrapped around this seen world, there's an unseen reality. Amen? And so God only makes sense. It makes sense to believe in a God. Well, what else is this new foundation that we have to start to anchor our lives on that really turns us away from this world? It's anchor 
in the eternal life change of people, real life change of people. Hebrews 11 says this, by faith Abel brought a God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. And so we see these things. Abel sacrificed the best of his, of the first fruits of his life. He took his, his flock and he took the best animals. He didn't just take some of the animals. He didn't just take, you know, something that was like, ah, oh, this isn't the best, I don't, but it'll be good enough. He took the best and brought it to God and he sacrificed it to God as an offering. But his brother, his brother Cain, he just brought some of the produce of his land. Yeah, this is good enough. I don't know, it's not the best, but I like to eat the best for myself. But so I'm going to give this to God and what's left over. And God looked favorably upon Abel. You see, that's an act of faith. It's an act of faith that he did that. Amen? And so we see that, you know, Abraham, Abraham changed his, the direction of his whole life because God called him and said, I'm going to give you a promised land. And, and he said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to follow this voice. I'm going to follow this God that is calling out to me. Amen? And so he did. I mean, Noah is crazy. He starts building this ship you know, scholars don't know how long it took them, anywhere from, you know, 50 years to 120 years, some go on. I mean, that's crazy. He did this thing, and like, there's some scholars, and this is a big argument, so I'm not going to go into the argument because it doesn't matter to me, who say, well, you know, perhaps the world had never even seen rain yet because God caused dew to be on the ground every morning. And so can you imagine this guy building this creation that, in a place where they've never seen rain. And he spends years and years and years building this thing in holy fear. How many know that takes faith? <laughs> and so we see these examples of faith. Something must have happened to them. They had a personal encounter with God and something changed in their life. You know, for many of us here today, we've had personal encounters with God. And because of that personal encounter, it begins to shape our life. It begins to shape the decisions with which we live our life. And so that, to me, is a sign of faith. I mean, guys, raising your hands in the middle of a song with your eyes closed is crazy. Or you see something that no one else sees. Amen? We're all gathering here, and we're saying, well, okay, I'll sing. I don't know why I'm singing. I don't know. But then suddenly something's to shift. There's a shift that changes. And we begin to see this evolutionary change that begins to happen in lives of people who are, have a personal encounter with God. Maybe it's a sermon you've heard. You know, have you ever been impacted by a sermon and this evolutionary, this slow change begins to happen in your life? You know, I can remember a sermon that I heard one time um, by my pastor at that time, David Hazard, and uh, he talked about living a principle-centered life. And he pulled three points out of this message in 1 Corinthians, and, and he asked three questions, and he said, if you can answer these three questions, you have permission from God to begin to enter into those things. He said this, if you want to live a principle-centered life, you know, does it glorify God? 
Does the thing you're doing glorify God? Well, check mark, yes, okay, then do it. Nobody says, but you've got to answer number two. Two, does it consider my brother? Does it consider my brother and sister in Christ? Yes, it's okay, it considers them Lord, I'm, and I feel like I'm free to do that. And number three, does it lead other people to know Jesus? If you can check marks those three things, you're good. Do you know that sermon I heard 32 years ago? It still shapes my life today. Wow, that's an incredible thing to me. And so that, that encounter with God in that moment, maybe it's a scripture you've read. You ever read a scripture and it's like something leaps off the page and you're so excited, you begin to tell other people like, wow, 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 you should read this, this is amazing, and you read it and they go, okay, why? You're like, no, you're not getting it. It's really amazing, look at it again. Why? Because you had a personal encounter. God met you in that scripture and you can, it's something shaped you in that moment. Incredible thing. You know, maybe even had an experience and nobody can take away that experience. You know, next week we're going to hear testimonies from people, guys that have had an experience with God. They've had a salvation story. They've had a moment in this baptism service. You're going to hear six or seven testimonies of people whose lives were changed. You know, it was at a baptism service that I gave my heart to Je- my life to Jesus. I went to my sister-in-law's baptism and, and I encountered God there. And it didn't just lead me to a revolu- uh, evolutionary change. It led me to a revolutionary change. Eight days before my 21st birthday, I'm at a baptism service and I'm telling you, God met me. And it was, I won't go into the details, you guys, but man, I was standing alone in a church of 700 and God showed up. And what a profound transformation in my life. You know, it's, it becomes in our lives not just to believe in a general sense. I think there's a God. No, it becomes, man, I know God and I meet with him and God wants to meet with me and I want to follow him and I want to believe it. And sometimes that revolutionary change can shape so many things in people's lives. You know, I love it for people that are, you know, maybe have been called away from another place and go, we believe God, you're calling us to move here to do this. God, we believe you're asking us to go into politics. God, we believe that you're asking us to do whatever he's asking you to do, and you shifted your whole life. How many know that's a revolutionary change? I can tell you in every one of our calls, my wife and I, you know, when I got called into ministry, that was a revolutionary change. I mean, I, I had a career. I was, you know, doing, living in electronics. I could have made a, a lot of money in that field. And God said, no, I've called you to ministry. You know, when God led us to move to Fort McMurray, guys, it was a revolutionary change. Uprooting life, my, you know, having a new baby, all those things. God called us to a revolution. When we moved from Fort McMurray to, to Mournville, it was a revolutionary change. I can tell you the stories and the details of God speaking of us, even when we made that move from Fort McMurray. The funny thing is, it was the scripture that was just read. By faith, Abraham would go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even that he did not know where he was going. That was what the preacher preached on that, that Sunday. And why we knew it was from God, he, he preached the first message. Benny and I decided to stay and hear the second because it was so moving, so powerful. 
And he said, I feel the Lord telling me to change my message. And he preached an entirely different message, but pointed right at Betty and I. And we said, man, we had been praying about moving to Morinville. We'd been praying and crying out to God. And it was like this pastor just said, you are called to go. That's a revolution, guys. Amen? I mean, we left a beautiful house, a beautiful, successful church. My wife had started a great little business, a church of a thousand people. We were being groomed to take over that church by the head of the FCA at that time. That's our fellowship. Everything in the natural said, stay in Fort McMurray. But when God tells you to go, you're better. it's better to go. Amen? And so we moved. God is good. So what else is the new foundation that we begin to build our life on? It's anchored to eternity. This is a key one, you guys. Listen to what the scripture says. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them, welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And God will not let them be ashamed because he is their God and he has promised a city for them. Amen. Your foundation begins to shift from this world, church. As you serve God, as you continue to follow God, your shift happens and, and you need a new, a new thing to long for, a new purpose, a new direction. You begin to turn your eyes not upon this world because this world is shaking and falling apart, but you see a heavenly kingdom that you said, Lord, I'm heading home. Amen. I'm building toward this God. I'm living my life with the eyesight on eternity, not just the here and now. Amen? That's so good, guys. You know, you can build your life on so many things in this world. You can yield your life to so many things that you think. You can build your life on all these foundations. How about this world, just building your life on the foundation? What you see on, as you're watching the internet feeds, and you're like, oh, this is what a good life is, and you try to build your life on that. Or economic security. Oh, I'm going to build my life on this, and I'm going to have so much money. I'm going to have money for this and this and this, and I can keep going, and I'm going to be secure. How about if we build our lives on cultural significance? Well, I'm relevant in the culture today. I don't think the church is very relevant in the culture today but you're building on your life on something else. This is what you're saying. How about relational security? (laughs) How's that going? How about you build your life upon your looks? (laughs) You know, you are shrinking and and shriveling even as I speak right now (laughs) on a cellular level. (laughs) There are things falling apart you don't even aware of. (laughs) That's not what you should be building your life upon. Amen? And, and God is saying, will you lay those things down with a vision of the next? Will you answer the call toward me and again over and over, move away from the things of this world? Will you die to self and do that? You know, we constantly are moved to express our faith in God, to change 
our perspective. You know, faith requires us to make these foundational shifts in our life, to stop looking at the here and now and start building on what is coming in eternity. You know, I've said this before, but it's worth bearing building this beautiful church and the work and the, the effort that people put into to build this church, man, it was an act of faith. Amen? Reaching out in our community, you know, building and supporting this ministry with our tithes and our offerings. For goodness sakes, when I tell people the amount of money we pour into youth ministry and children's ministry and our tithes and our offerings, you know, I, I believe we're going to break a million dollars in giving this year. A million dollars. Hallelujah, you guys. That's amazing. And you're like, well, where all's that money going? Well, if you showed up to the annual meeting, you would hear where all that money goes. Amen? But it goes to supporting the works and the ministries. You guys realize that people who give in a church are seeing something beyond the church? Hallelujah? And so this is what we have to understand. All these things, having true faith, this is what God is calling us to, to shift our foundation to start looking to a God who's real and exists, to responding to the life change that God has for us and to realizing, you know, there's an eternity that I got to prepare for, my true retirement in the things that I begin to shape, shape my life. Well, believe it or not, the book of Hebrews goes on. And then it tells us this, having true faith will lead us down one of three roads in this world. And these are the things that we need to understand. Number one is a faith that sees. It's our favorite kind of faith. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 11, verse 32. What shall we say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Samson, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and, and routed foreign enemies. Women received back from the dead, raised to life again their loved ones. How many want that kind of faith? Amen? Woo! How many want that kind of faith? Yeah. Now... Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we in churches, it's the only kind of faith we preach. Faith that sees the answer. Faith that receives the answer. And we're like, yes, 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 that's true faith. You know, think about the Israelites passing through the Red Sea and the, the wall of water on both sides. Can you imagine? And you're walking through, two million people are looking at fish you know, trying to get through at them. I don't know what's there, but it's, it's freaky. And you're walking through on dry ground. How many know that's a miracle? The walls of Jericho falling down because of walking around it seven times and praising God. David defeating Goliath. That's faith. Daniel in the lion's den. That's that kind of faith. The miracles of Jesus. How many of you know that's that kind of faith? Amen? The ten lepers, the man with the shriveled hand, the feeding of the 5,000, calling Lazarus from the dead. I mean, I could tell you over and over and over again the miracles that my wife and I have seen. Real, genuine miracles. Stage four cancers being healed. We have seen that. <laughs> we have friends still alive today delivered from stage four cancer. 
guys, that's real stuff where you can't even deny it, where the doctors are baffled in our own lives. Our, the doctors were baffled when my daughter's hip, she didn't have hips when she was born, when they were created. And the doctor said, this is a remarkable change. Hello? It's a miracle. It's an awesome thing. Amen? Betty was called, gone in for gallbladder surgery. And uh, she said, Lord, I know you heal. I just don't know if you want to heal me. Forgive me for my unbelief. She shows up and the guy does, I don't know what's wrong. He says, your gallbladder is fine. We don't have to do surgery. We've had those kind of miracles, guys. It's awesome. It's incredible. But we have to understand that faith, true faith, even moves beyond that. There's a faith, according to this scripture, that supersedes and makes you a supersede. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Listen to what it says. For he was looking forward to the city with foundation whose architect and builder was God. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. And again, they were looking forward to this great country, trusting God. You know, the word supersede is an interesting word. This is what it means, to cause, to be set aside, to take the place of. This is the kind of faith that doesn't see the answer right away and sometimes doesn't even see the answer in the lifetime of that person believing. It's a tough one. This is what Abraham, he saw the promised land and the promised son. Amen? And he kept believing. He saw the seeds of his inheritance. He saw them number, and everybody never saw them number in the multitudes. You know, this is like the Sunday school teacher has no idea what they're doing. They think the kids are like brats and they're like, why are these kids not listening to me? And they don't see that the seeds that they sowed later changed that kid's life. But they kept serving and they kept doing. You know, this is when the answer doesn't come immediately. What do you do in finances, in a job, praying for loved ones to be saved? Guys, you know how many people, godly people that I've had the privilege of seeing their children and their children's children get saved at the funeral? <laughs> they, never, they never got to see them, but they, made a, they said, Lord, forgive me, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I realize that mom was always right. Her grandma was always right. I need to make a change in my life. I need to come back to God or meet him for the first time. They never saw that. But how many know it happened? It happened. You know, there are people, I love this thought. God kind of showed me this last night. There were people who sacrificed and served and gave for the building of this church who never lived to see it built. But you know what? They saw it from a distance. And so they did it. Amen? Hallelujah. This is that faith that supersedes. It just keeps believing. You know, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm keeping believing. I'm praying. I'm praying. I mean, how many of you have prayed about things and it's like, God, why is this so hard? Why is this taking so long? Are you not hearing me, God? But you keep on believing. You keep on believing. You keep on praying because you have a faith that supersedes. Can you believe in the Bible that's celebrated as true faith? Wow, you guys. You see, faith that sees is not the only faith. Now, this third one is the worst one. We don't want this one. And that's a faith that suffers. 
And yet there it is in Hebrews chapter 11, the champions of faith. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they might gain even a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, lived in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their fate, yet none of them received what they had been promised. That's a faith we don't hear preached about very much. Yet there is a faith at times that suffers. We don't like to talk about that one. Jesus said in this life, you will have many troubles, but take heart of overcome. This is the mystery of faith. Why some of our faith and prayers are answered and others are seemingly unanswered. If we took time to go, you know, story after story in the Bible, even when we read the book of Acts, we think, well, they got the faith that always sees the answer. Why don't we get that kind of faith? Oh, come on, be careful. You can skip over amazing thoughts that come even from the book of Acts, the early church of Jesus Christ. You know, the church... The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens and then the church starts getting persecuted. And things begin to happen. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod begins to take prisoners of the believers. And then he had James, check this out, one of the apostles, the brother of John, put to death. Sad. And he saw that it pleased the Jews, so then he proceeded to take Peter captive as well. Throws Peter in a prison He's locked you know, in iron bars between two guards with, with chains on his wrists, shackles, and he's locked between these guards, and it's in the middle of the night, and uh, he gets woken by an angel. It says it struck him on the side. I don't know what he, if he gave him a little kick or if he had a staff. I'm not sure. But he says, get up. And Peter thinks he's in a dream. And then suddenly the shackles literally come off his wrists. And the guys, the two soldiers next to him are sleeping. And he gets up. He says, put your cloak on. So he does. He begins to walk. As he's walking, the doors of the prison doors start to open. Right till they're outside. And Peter's like, man, this is quite a dream. This is a cool dream, God. I mean, this is awesome. And then the angel leaves him and he realizes, I'm awake. It's cold out here. So then he goes, he goes to the church where he knows the church gathers, and uh, he starts to pound on the door. And guess why they're gathered there? They're praying. How many of prayer is an act of faith? Craziest act of faith. And he pounds on the door, and the servant girl says, comes back to all the people gathered for prayer. He says, Peter's at the door. And they say to her, you know, the people of faith that they're praying, they, you know, they say to her, you're crazy. It must be his angel. Well, first they say crazy. He comes back and says, no, it's really Peter. It must be his angel. They open the door and find out it's really Peter. And G- Peter says, go tell the rest of the brothers. I've been set free, blah, blah, blah. Great story. Amazing story. But it leaves us with one question, which we're going to talk about as the band comes back right now. This is the hard question of this story that we can miss. It's such an easy question to miss. Do you think the church was also praying for James as well? Come on now. 
Do you think the church was praying for James as well? Yeah. Yep. I believe, well, we have to believe that. Do you think they were earnestly praying? Yeah. But what happened? James received a better resurrection and deliverance. He went on to be with the Father in eternity, for eternity. And yet James now has a widow. And James has a family that's maybe saying, you know, why did Peter get set free? And our dad didn't. This is faith, church. This is the power and the pain of living a faithful life. A life that says, God, I'm going to believe you for this miracle, but come what may, I'm still going to believe you. That's the invitation today. Will we have that true kind of faith that Hebrews 11 offers us? Because here's the truth, you guys. We will win many, many, many battles in our journey of faith. Hallelujah. And we will lose some very difficult battles and suffer devastating losses. Will we still have faith? And we left at times to wonder why some of our prayers are not answered according to the expectation of ourselves or others. We'll be left to wonder, God, come on, what happened here? I say to my wife all the time, when we go through difficult things or we watch families go through difficult things as pastors, we get that privilege of walking with people at that moment. And, and we, I just look at her and I say, man, I can hardly wait to ask God about this when I get to heaven. And my wife, in her brilliant will, wisdom and the fact that her foundations are not in this world, says, Greg, you're not going to care when you get there. Because just one glimpse of him in glory will all the toils of life repay. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.